Book Four, Chapter Fifteen of Last Days of Pompeii. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording by Amy Benton. Last Days of Pompeii by Edward G. Bulwer Lytton. Book Four, Chapter Fifteen. Arbaces and Ione. Nydia gains the garden. Will she escape and save the Athenian? When Arbaces had warmed his veins by large draughts of that spiced and perfumed wine so valued by the luxurious, he felt more than usually elated and exultant of heart. There is a pride in triumphant ingenuity, not less felt, perhaps, though its object be guilty. Our vain human nature hugs itself in the consciousness of superior craft and self-obtained success. Afterwards comes the horrible reaction of remorse. But remorse was not a feeling which Arbaces was likely ever to experience for the fate of the base Calenus. He swept from his remembrance the thought of the priest's agonies and lingering death. He felt only that a great danger was past, and a possible foe silenced. All left to him now would be to account to the priesthood for the disappearance of Calenus, and this, he imagined, it would not be difficult to do. Calenus had often been employed by him in various religious missions to the neighboring cities. On some such errand he could now assert that he had been sent with offerings to the shrines of Isis at Herculaneum and Neapolis, placatory of the goddess for the recent murder of her priest, Apesides. When Calenus had expired, his body might be thrown, previous to the Egyptians' departure from Pompeii, into the deep stream of the Sarnus, and when discovered, suspicion would probably fall upon the Nazarene atheists as an act of revenge for the death of Olynthus at the arena. After rapidly running over these plans for screening himself, Arbaces dismissed at once from his mind all recollection of the wretched priest, and, animated by the success which had lately crowned all his schemes, he surrendered his thoughts to Ione. The last time he had seen her, she had driven him from her presence by a reproachful and bitter scorn which his arrogant nature was unable to endure. Now he felt emboldened once more to renew that interview, for his passion for her was like a similar feeling in other men. It made him restless for her presence, even though in that presence he was exasperated and humbled. From delicacy to her grief he laid not aside his dark and unfestive robes, but renewing the perfumes on his raven locks, and arranging his tunic in its most becoming folds, he sought the chamber of the Neapolitan. Accosting the slave in attendance without, he inquired if Ione had yet retired to rest, and learning that she was still up, and unusually quiet and composed, he ventured into her presence. He found his beautiful ward sitting before a small table, and leaning her face upon both her hands in the attitude of thought. Yet the expression of the face itself possessed not its wonted bright and psyche-like expression of sweet intelligence. The lips were apart the eyes vacant and unheeding, and the long dark hair falling neglected and dishevelled upon her neck gave by the contrast additional paleness to a cheek which had already lost the roundness of its contour. Arbaces gazed upon her a moment ere he advanced. She, too, lifted up her eyes, and when she saw who was the intruder, shut them with an expression of pain, but did not stir. "'Ah!' said Arbaces, in a low and earnest tone, as he respectfully, nay, humbly advanced, and seated himself at a little distance from the table. "'Ah! that my death could remove thy hatred! Then would I gladly die! Thou wrongest me, Ione, but I will bear the wrong without a murmur. Only let me see thee sometimes, chide, reproach, scorn me, if thou wilt. I will teach myself to bear it. 
and is not even thy bitterest tone sweeter to me than the music of the most artful lute in thy silence the world seems to stand still a stagnation curdles up the veins of the earth there is no earth no life without the light of thy countenance and the melody of thy voice give me back my brother and my betrothed said ione in a calm and imploring tone and a few large tears rolled unheeded down her cheeks would that i could restore the one and save the other returned arbaces with apparent emotion yes to make thee happy i would renounce my ill-fated love and gladly join thy hand to the athenians perhaps he will yet come unscathed from his trial arbaces had prevented her from learning that the trial had already commenced if so thou art free to judge or condemn him thyself and think not o ione that i would follow thee longer with a prayer of love i know it is in vain suffer me only to weep to mourn with thee forgive a violence deeply repented and that shall offend no more let me be to thee only what i once was a friend a father a protector ah ione spare me and forgive i forgive thee save but glaucus and i will renounce him o mighty arbaces thou art powerful in evil or in good save the athenian and the poor ione will never see him more as she spoke she rose with weak and trembling limbs and falling at his feet she clasped his knees oh if thou really lovest me if thou art human remember my father's ashes remember my childhood think of all the hours we passed happily together and save my glaucus strange convulsions shook the frame of the egyptian his features worked fearfully he turned his face aside and said in a hollow voice if i could save him even now i would but the roman law is stern and sharp yet if i could succeed if i could rescue and set him free wouldst thou be mine my bride thine repeated ione rising thine thy bride my brother's blood is unavenged who slew him o nemesis can i even sell for the life of glaucus thy solemn trust arbaces thine never ione ione cried arbaces passionately why these mysterious words why dost thou couple my name with the thought of thy brother's death my dreams couple it and dreams are from the gods vain fantasies all it is for a dream that thou wouldst wrong the innocent and hazard thy sole chance of saving thy lover's life hear me said ione speaking firmly and with a deliberate and solemn voice if glaucus be saved by thee i will never be born to his home a bride but i cannot master the horror of other rites i cannot wed with thee interrupt me not but mark me arbaces if glaucus die on that same day i baffle thine arts and leave to thy love only my dust yes thou mayest put the knife and the poison from my reach thou mayst imprison thou mayst chain me but the brave soul resolved to escape is never without means these hands naked and unarmed though they be shall tear away the bonds of life fetter them and these lips shall firmly refuse the air thou art learned thou hast read how women have died rather than meet dishonour if glaucus perish i will not unworthily linger behind him by all the gods of the heaven and the ocean and the earth i devote myself to death i have said i proud dilating in her stature like one inspired the air and the voice of ione struck an awe into the breast of a listener brave heart said he after a short pause 
thou art indeed worthy to be mine oh that i should have dreamt of such a partner in my lofty destinies and never found it but in thee ione he continued rapidly dost thou not see that we were born for each other canst thou not recognize something kindred to thine own energy thine own courage in this high and self-dependent soul we were formed to unite our sympathies formed to breathe a new spirit into this hackneyed and gross world formed for the mighty ends which my soul sweeping down the gloom of time foresees with the prophet's vision with a resolution equal to thine own i defy thy threats of an inglorious suicide i hail thee as my own queen of climes undarkened by the eagle's wing unravaged by his beak i bow before thee in homage and in awe and i claim thee in worship and in love together we will cross the ocean together we will found our realm and far distant ages shall acknowledge the long race of kings born from the marriage-bed of arbaces and Ione thou ravest these mystic declamations are suited rather to some palsied crone selling charms in the market-place than to the wise arbaces thou hast heard my resolution it is fixed as the fates themselves orcus has heard my vow and it is written in the book of the unforgetful hades atone then o arbaces atone the past convert hatred into regard vengeance into gratitude preserve one who shall never be thy rival these are the acts suited to thy original nature which gives forth sparks of something high and noble they weigh in the scales of the kings of death they turn the balance on that day when the disembodied soul stands shivering and dismayed between tartarus and elysium they gladden the heart in life better and longer than the reward of a momentary passion o arbaces hear me and be swayed enough ione all that i can do for glaucus shall be done but blame me not if i fail inquire of my foes even if i have not sought if i do not seek to turn aside the sentence from his head and judge me accordingly sleep then ione night wanes i leave thee to rest and mayst thou have kinder dreams of one who has no existence but in thine without waiting for a reply arbaces hastily withdrew afraid perhaps to trust himself farther to the passionate prayer of ione which racked him with jealousy even while it touched him to compassion but compassion itself had come too late had ione even pledged him her hand as a reward he could not now his evidence given the populace excited have saved the athenian still made sanguine by the very energy of mind he threw himself on the chances of the future and believed he could yet triumph over the woman who had so entangled his passions as his attendants assisted to unrobe him for the night the thought of nydia flashed across him he felt it was necessary that Ione should never learn of her lover's frenzy, lest it might excuse his imputed crime, and it was possible that her attendants might inform her that Nydia was under his roof, and that she might desire to see her. As this idea crossed him, he turned to one of his freedmen. "'Go, Callias,' said he, forthwith to Sosia, and tell him that on no pretense is he to suffer the blind slave Nydia out of her chamber, but stay.' First, seek those in attendance upon my ward, and caution them not to inform her that the blind girl is under my roof. Go, quick! The freedman hastened to obey. After having discharged his commission with respect to Ione's attendance, he sought the worthy Sosia. He found him not in the little cell which was apportioned for his cubiculum, but he called his name aloud, and from Nydia's chamber, close at hand, he heard the voice of Sosia reply, "'O oh, Callias, is it you that I hear?' the gods be praised open the door i pray you callias withdrew the bolt 
and the rueful face of Sosia hastily protruded itself. "'What, in the chamber with that young girl, Sosia? Pro, Pudor, are there not fruits ripe enough on the wall, that thou must tamper with such green? Name not that little witch!' interrupted Sosia impatiently. "'She will be my ruin!' And he forthwith imparted to Callias the history of the air-demon and the escape of the Thessalian. "'Hang thyself, then, unhappy Sosia. I am just charged from Arbaces with a message on thee. On no account art thou to suffer her, even for a moment, from that chamber.' "'May miserum!' exclaimed the slave. "'What can I do? By this time she may have visited half Pompeii. But to-morrow I will undertake to catch her in her old haunts. Keep but thy counsel, my dear Callias.' I would do all that friendship can, consistent with my own safety. But are you sure that she has left the house? She may be hiding here yet. How is that possible? She could easily have gained the garden, and the door, as I told thee, was open. Nay, not so, for at that very hour thou specifiest, Arbaces was in the garden, with the priest, Callinus. I went there in search of some herbs for my master's bath to-morrow. I saw the table set out. But the gate, I am sure, was shut. Depend upon it. The Calanus entered by the garden, and naturally closed the door after him. But it was not locked? Yes, for I myself, angry at a negligence which might expose the bronzes and the peristyle to the mercy of any robber, turned the key, took it away, and, as I did not see the proper slave to whom to give it, or I should have rated him finely, here it actually is, still in my girdle. Oh, merciful Bacchus! I did not pray to thee in vain after all. Let us not lose a moment— let us to the garden instantly. She may yet be there. The good-natured Callias consented to assist the slave, and after vainly searching the chambers at hand and the recesses of the peristyle, they entered the garden. It was about this time that Nydia had resolved to quit her hiding-place and venture forth on her way. Lightly, tremulously, holding her breath, which ever and anon broke forth in quick convulsive gasps, now gliding by the flower, wreathed columns that bordered the peristyle, now darkening the still moonshine that fell over its tessellated centre, now ascending the terrace of the garden, now gliding amidst the gloomy and breathless trees, she gained the fatal door, to find it locked. We have all seen that expression of pain, of uncertainty, of fear, which of sudden disappointment of touch, if I may use the expression, casts over the face of the blind. But what words can paint the intolerable woe, the sinking of the whole heart which was now visible in the features of the Thessalian? Again and again her small, quivering hands wandered to and fro the inexorable door. Poor thing that thou wert! In vain had been all thy noble courage, thy innocent craft, thy doublings to escape the hound and the huntsman. Within but a few yards from thee, laughing at thy endeavours, thy despair, knowing thou wert now their own, and watching with cruel patience their own moment to seize their prey, thou art saved from seeing thy pursuers. Hush, Callias, let her go on. Let us see what she will do when she has convinced herself that the door is honest. Look, she raises her face to the heavens, she mutters, she sinks down despondent. No, by Pollux, she has some new scheme. She will not resign herself by Jupiter, a tough spirit. See, she springs up, she retraces her steps. She thinks for some other chance. I advise thee, Sosia, to delay no longer. Seize her ere she quit the garden now. Ah, run away. I have thee, eh? said Sosia, seizing upon the unhappy Nadia. 
as a hare's last human cry and the fangs of the dog, as the sharp voice of terror, uttered by a sleepwalker suddenly awakened, broke the shriek of the blind girl when she felt the abrupt grip of her gaoler. It was a shriek of such utter agony, such entire despair, that it might have rung hauntingly in your ears for ever. She felt as if the last plank of the sinking Glaucus were torn from his clasp. It had been a suspense of life and death, and death had now won the game. "'Gods! That cry will alarm the house! Arbaces sleeps full lightly. Gag her!' cried Callias. "'Ah, here's a very napkin which the young witch conjured away from my reason. Come, that's right!' now thou art dumb as well as blind and catching the light weight in his arms socia soon gained the house and reached the chamber from which nydia had escaped there removing the gag he left her to a solitude so racked and terrible that out of hades its anguish could scarcely be exceeded end of book four chapter fifteen